Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. What's up, Wes? How you doing? Having a good day? Yeah, I'm having a great day. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing like all right, but like uh, I've got some allergies going on, so oh, it might rough. be a little nasally today, but we'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, it is that time of year and boy, mm -hmm. does it get bad sometimes, but uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll get through it all right. But what have you been playing recently? Because, I mean, you know, with all those allergies out there, it's a great time to stay indoors mm -hmm. and play games if you got the time for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I've been playing a couple different things because I finished my Dawn of War campaign, which I should probably talk about today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since I've been working on it so much. <laughs> but yeah, I finally did the last two races I had to do, which were both two new races and two new um, crafted missions just for those races and uh man the first capital i tried to do was for the inquisition and they just had this like mechanic where as soon as you attack their base like an army would spawn at their base oh and uh like i could usually defeat their army but if you didn't defeat it fast enough they would like spawn another one <laughs> oh like there was a so, timer in the background i guess or... yeah okay Oof. and so if i if i didn't like completely wipe out the first one it was just over like i couldn't do anything so that it took me a very long time before i pretty much defeated the first army sniped the base and left and they still spawned a second army and then went to attack me at my base but i had this heroic defense just barely and then i kind of won at that point so nice but it was pretty crazy and then the second mission was very similar it was against chaos and they would spawn like all their chaos gods when you attack their base but uh since i had already played one of those i kind of knew i should just go in snipe the base and leave <laughs> and right. that one went much better so yeah it was really good and after i finished the campaign i wanted to spend some time with the other races that i didn't get to play or see because I think the Unification Wars mod added like 20-something races. Oh, that's right. Which is yeah. pretty crazy. So I checked out a few other ones and some other game modes, and they're all really good. Some of them are definitely more complete than others. But I think my favorite one was, uh, there's this faction called uh, the Death Guard, and it's like Chaos Space Marines, but they're all like Nurgle-infested, which are like kind of basically zombies. Oh, cool. And they have their own race in this mod, and all the buildings are super cool. And they're like elite units are just these melee guys with big old scythes. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I it's definitely getting some Grim Reaper vibes from this. So <laughs> it was really cool. Oh, that sounds awesome. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Just finishing that up. It did take a while to finish it up, but I'm glad I conquered the universe as the orcs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The universe is now in balance. The orcs uh, and, their, and their big booms rule the day. <laughs> cool. Oh, well, that's awesome. Nice. Well, I mean, what have you been up to, though, Wes? Yeah, so I've been still doing a bit of the same old, same old uh, Stalker Gamma and Mass Effect 2 in the background, almost all the way through Mass Effect 2. But the big new thing that I've been playing that I wanted to talk about is this new Stardew Valley-like game that I'd been following for a long time and it just went into early access last week. It's called okay. Coral Island. And it's very interesting because it has an isometric view, but it's 3D graphics. So that's a big change from Stardew right away. And there's a lot of good things about it. But before I get into the good, there's one thing I want to mention that I just feel weird about. And okay. That is that the whole intro and the first like four hours of gameplay I had felt like they were ripped 100% from Stardew Valley. Like <laughs> you go into this abandoned house, it's a little beat up. You were working a corporate job before then, but your grandfather passes away and leaves you a farm. So you go to the farm and like the interactions with some of the townspeople early on are very similar. The first big event like town community event that you go to as you contribute an item to a big potluck kind of thing exactly like the first event <laughs> in stardew okay and i was just like this is feels a little 
blatant. Uh, <laughs> so that I feel a little weird about, but they do reinvent other aspects of the game in enough ways that I'm like, okay, good. They are doing something <laughs> that's not just Stardew with the story as well. But I mean, like the basic gardening, mining system, dungeoning system is all very, very similar. And to be fair, I've never played Harvest Moon, which I know Stardew Valley took a lot of inspiration from. So I don't know how much this is borrowing from that as well. But considering how popular Stardew is, it's <laughs> definitely they're taking a lot straight from Stardew. But it's published by Humble Games, like Humble Bundle. So I'm like, well, I mean, they can't be that bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, who's Humble Bundle owned by now? They were bought out a couple of years ago, I want to say by Kotaku or some some news magazine oh really you know what i don't know off the top of my head whoever it is it's not as like trustworthy as just humble bundle i think right <laughs> oh it's by ign okay yeah so they're owned by ign now which i don't know i feel like they're all right too but either way yeah it's a little they're not the small darling of the gaming universe mm. just giving away all these games and giving stuff to charity they still are but you know <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting distracted from it. So that part is a little weird, admittedly, but the rest of the game is great. I really like the 3D graphics style. All of the characters are very interesting, and they seem like they have cool stories, even though some of them aren't finished yet because it's an alpha. And there's also a lot of good like representation and diversity in the cast of characters that you meet, which is really nice both like people with physical disabilities, like a guy who has a prosthetic arm and just a bunch of other stuff that is nice to see. So I appreciate that aspect of it. And really that's what's keeping me involved in it now. The aesthetic is also really cool. It's kind of like a tropical Japanese island-ish, Hawaii-ish kind of place where your farm is. And mm -hmm. uh, the theming is very cool there. Like the first event is a like a sakura flower festival or cherry blossom festival maybe i forget but you know there's pink leaves everywhere and uh, so the art is really good and that's kind of one of the main things i'm excited about now uh, and there definitely are different gameplay elements that they're working into it it's just all the first stuff that they introduce you to <laughs> is very similar to stardew some nice things it does though is after you've sold an item when you hover over it again in a sell menu it tells you how much it's worth which I guess Stardew tells you the price as well, but it has some nice quality of life things that make like tracking your crops and stuff like that a lot easier than in other games I've played. So I've been enjoying it so far and haven't really hit too many limitations of the early access either. So check it out. It isn't free. It is 25 bucks on Steam, but it's a cool one if you want something very similar to Stardew Valley, but with some different stuff going on. Okay, cool. I am looking up some pictures of it now. Seems cool. There's some sort of underwater section. There is, yes. I'm that's a big, big part of it. Cleaning up the ocean is like the big theme of this. Mm. Although you are also like trying to push out a corrupt organization very similar to Jojo Mart <laughs> in Stardew. Gotcha. But it, it makes sense for that type of game, that sort of theming. But yeah, that's yeah. what I have been playing recently but let's jump into our special topic for the day we have a new computer to talk about always exciting means new games hopefully and this one is the nec 8001 or 8001 computer uh, so i'm going to give a little bit of background on the company nec or NEC is short for nippon electric company and they have apparently been the biggest PC vendor in Japan since the launch of the PC 8000 line, which is what this uh, NEC 8001 is part of. Not just selling their own products, I'm sure, and uh, helping to import other products as well. But part of the reason why is probably because this company was founded all the way back in 1899. So they've been around <laughs> for a very long time. Um, making electronics, a lot of like industrial communications kind of stuff, but also radios and things like that. But they've been in the industry so long that they made their first computers in 1958. So 
you know, these were gigantic computers that were just for business and uh, industrial or like uh, computing kind of purposes, but they were making computers all the way back then. So they definitely know a thing or two about what's going on. <laughs> but through all that time, they'd been growing and expanding in Japan. And they even uh, towards the late 70s got into the US market and bought up a couple subsidiary companies, including one that was manufacturing semiconductors just for their US market. So by 1980, where we're uh, catching up with them, they were already doing pretty well and were well established in a bunch of different areas. But they started to focus on the development of personal computers after seeing two companies have success with personal computers, the uh, Hitachi Basic Master and the Sharp MZ80K. Those came out in 1978. And after that, the company decided to have one of their divisions pivot to make their own personal computers. They had already developed the TK80, which was a hobbyist kind of kit computer, but they really wanted to break into the personal computer market more with a fully built PC ready to use so it didn't just have to be for the hobby market. And so on this team who was making it, one of the lead designers, Tomio Goto, just happened to run into Bill Gates after a computer showcase. And they were talking about the importance of establishing an industry standard for computers. And this led to them buying a version of Microsoft Basic for their computer to run on. And they marketed it as having this version of Basic that tons of other computers used. And that helped uh, with their sales and like schools and stuff like that, because people knew this computer was going to be universal, even if it wasn't a Microsoft computer or something like that, that they were using. And the NEC 8001, when it released, was such a instant success that by 1981, it accounted for 40% of Japan's home computers. So <laughs> they really hit the market right when it needed a Japanese computer. Apparently all of the Holy Trinity were crazy expensive because of their import prices. So mm -hmm. this was the one that really was a full built, easy to use computer that was not nearly as expensive uh, as the competitors at the time. Yeah, very interesting because like when I was doing research on it, we definitely have like evidence of lots of games and good development on it, but it's hard to find a lot of info because it was only really popular in Japan. <laughs> so right. it's a little bit more difficult to find info for, but let's talk a little bit about the specs of it real quick. Again, some of the specs, I don't really know what they are because they're like Japanese versions of things. So for example, the processor is like some weird neck chip, but uh, it's just like a copy of like a Zilog Z80. So pretty much a Zilog Z80, which, uh, you know, everybody's using it. So <laughs> why not them? <laughs> Interestingly, as you mentioned, Wes, it came in an all-in-one unit. So you got the uh, CRT video part of it. You got like a cassette port, ports for printers and all this stuff and keyboard. I think it could be expanded with floppy drives and um, whole bunches of stuff. As far as the memory went, it came with 24 kilobytes of ROM and 16 kilobytes of RAM, which is somewhere in like the middle to low tier, I would say. Probably the most important thing for us is that it can have up to eight different colors displayed on the screen. Ooh. And I think has sprite graphic support. So. That's good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, as far as the games go, I tried to look for games in 1980. So the 8001 came out uh, in 1980, or was it 79? I'm forgetting now. Yes. Yeah. At least in Japan, 79. Mm -hmm. But I was looking for games for it for 1980, and I only found a couple games. I'm just going to say them all right now. They probably came out throughout the year. But the only ones I could find, and I only have like, images of these like screenshots so nothing that we could really play or, or review but i believe it had ports of either space invaders or galaxian a port of hyankyo alien and um a game called gundam which was apparently the first ever gundam computer Ooh. game <laughs> and it was released as a type-in game from some japanese book that i can't find so uh, -uh. uh a little tenuous on that one but I do have a screenshot of the title screen that says 
August 10th, 1980. So it was at least being developed there. It looked like some sort of target shooting game, except you're shooting robots. <laughs> right. So, but it wasn't full color. And, uh, you know, the resolution is not bad. So I think there's definitely a lot of good potential for this system, as long as we can find ways to play it and check out the games, because I'm a little worried about that part. <laughs> In any case, though, this is the beginning of, you know, a very successful home PC launch for them, and they're going to continue making new and better PCs, and we will continue to follow it for a lot of weird Japanese games, which is all I've, I've ever wanted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are oftentimes the best. <laughs> but why don't we take a quick break now and start talking about some more other weird games that we have in our oh, yeah. timeline today? Hey everyone, welcome back. Let's get straight into our timeline today and start things right away with the first game that I got to review. And uh, it's a weird one. I promised you weird games, we got weird games. Uh, <laughs> this game is a handheld called Raise the Devil Pinball by Entex. Uh, came out sometime in 1980 and it's handheld digital pinball, ran on a Texas Instruments CPU. And it's kind of exactly what you would think. I mean, it's got that typical visual style that we've seen on a lot of handhelds where it's red LEDs lighting up on different parts of the screen. And it actually had a hidden feature, which I didn't get a chance to activate when I was playing it, where uh, it would tilt if you hit the flippers repeatedly. So I guess you could shake the whole board up if you were just like mashing the flipper buttons. <laughs> but uh, the gameplay for Raise the Devil, I mean, it's video pinball, so it's kind of what you would expect. Uh, plays a basic game of pinball with all the typical trappings of like bumpers and uh, the, I forget what they're called, but the holes that like keep the ball and that it racks up points and then it shoots it back out and all those sorts of things. Um, and it actually has individually controlled flippers, which I wouldn't have expected from a handheld. And it's uh, nice that they have that. So you control when the ball is shot, just like a normal game. And you just have to keep it alive as long as possible. Just simple pinball. But the difference here is that the ball doesn't really have gravity, or at least not in like a simulated way that makes sense. I mean, I guess it does, but <laughs> it's only displayed through LEDs. So since it's not consistently on screen, it's a lot harder to track like its arc and figure out where the heck the ball is going. <laughs> so instead, it just kind of darts around to all these different places on screen. It just lights up in different locations. Again, you don't see it traveling. You just kind of see it lighting up in different spots as it goes. And then when it shows up in those different locations, eventually it'll show up next to your paddle or your flipper, and that's when you got to hit it. Um, you have three balls to play with, and uh, that's a bad way to say that, but you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> okay. after that, it's a game over. So that's kind of it. It's a pretty simple game. Let me get into my ratings because I'll talk about some more of the uh, details of it there. For graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. The digital display, there's not much to speak of. I mean, it's just the ball that lights up as it moves across the screen and the two flippers, which are each made up of three dots. So they look okay, you know, they move fast-ish for a handheld, but still, it's not like a VFD display. It's only three set locations where the flipper can be and like 12 set locations where the ball can be. So it's limited in that aspect. The overlay, though, is pretty sweet. I mean, it's called a Raise the Devil Pinball. It's just this stylized devil face is the whole front or the whole center of the board. And there's flames at the bottom that the ball falls into when you uh, when you lose a round. So it has some really great colors going on, and I like that. So I gave it a little bit of points there. Kind of had to save it since really it's just red LEDs. Other than that, 
Although I should say they actually are circular, thankfully. It's not like square things for the ball. Moving on to sounds, though, I gave it a 1.25 out of 10 here. It's just a lot of beeps, if I'm being honest. I mean, it's a handheld. I wasn't expecting too much. And I'm happy at least that the beeps aren't annoying and they happen a lot. So it does that thing that we're always looking for in digital pinball, where it's trying to simulate the noise of real pinball, you know, all the hectic dings and bangs and all that stuff going on. Uh, so it does that a little bit, although it's just the same beep that plays every time the ball hits something. And there's also a few little tunes that play when you hit the ball into a special like scoring area or when you lose. But overall, it's just not that much going on. Uh, although I feel like it's not too bad for a handheld compared to a lot of the other handhelds that we've seen. Now to get into the big part, the gameplay, uh, which I gave a 1 out of 10. I just can't imagine playing this for more than like 10 minutes max, and I think I played it for about 3 minutes. Um, I sort of get the appeal, and we are going to see more of these, so obviously there was an appeal to this. You know, it's fast-paced, in quotes, uh, fun of a pinball cabinet, but you don't have to go to the arcade and you can hold it in your pocket. And this actually was a pretty small one, so you probably could hold it in your pocket. But the way that they did this version just feels kind of bad. Like the fact that there's only like 15 or 20 locations where the ball can be on screen, it just doesn't work for pinball, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know, not being able to see exactly where the ball's going. There were plenty of times where I saw the ball I hit the flipper and I should have hit it, but because the ball on the back end had already traveled past my flipper, but it hasn't visually updated yet, I didn't hit it. So there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on there since there's no fluid visual motion. And because the ball only has set locations it could go on screen, it was really hard to tell if you actually hit it where you wanted to. And there's only like one location. I guess there's three locations, but only a few locations where the ball could be in relation to the flipper. So I don't even know if you really can hit it at angles or if it just always goes the same direction. <laughs> um, so it just kind of felt weird. It just seems like you're not actually playing pinball. You're just button mashing, you know, which is fine. There's lots of noises and you get points and it's entertaining in that aspect. Um, but one of the other things that really killed it for me is I'm pretty sure there's certain like situations where it'll just drop straight down the center and there's nothing you can do to save it except for maybe tilt but you don't really have the time to react so <laughs> it was a big miss for me with gameplay to be honest and i feel like smooth visuals would have made all the difference although i know that is hard to do on a handheld at this time Moving on to relevance now, though, I gave it a 6 out of 10 here because it is the first handheld pinball game that we're covering, and we're going to see quite a few. Um, we don't have a month date for Raise the Devil, so it's hard to say if this is the first, but it's the first one that we're covering, so I think it at least deserves a bit of relevance for its place in our timeline as the first handheld digital pinball game. And like I said, we're going to see quite a few of them. So we'll have to see if any of them do take a different or uh, other spin on how to do this type of game. And overall, that left me with a 1.25 out of 10. Uh, Raise the Devil has fun theming, and I like the overlay visuals. But when it comes to the digital graphics and the gameplay, I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I think it's probably in line with other handhelds that are coming out right now. But when you're trying to emulate pinball, which is such a fluid, fast game, it just didn't work for me. It really felt like it was missing something essential to that kind of gameplay experience. So I'm hoping we see it on a VFD-style handheld display, and that is a little bit smoother. Uh, but we'll have to see. And this is at least a taste of what the genre might look like going forward. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. I didn't realize there was only like 12 places the ball could be. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if they doubled that number, it would, wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, exactly. Because, or, you know, and just 
cut all the distances in between the different spaces where it can be in half, add like one Mm -hmm. extra dot in there. Uh, And it probably would be pretty good. So maybe somebody will do that in the future. Yeah, it feels like somebody could pull it off. Hopefully, yeah. They wanted to. But uh, (laughs) these next ones didn't do that. These next ones are some clones of Raise the Devil Pinball. And I mean, like, they're either licensed or they're like exact copies with the same cover art and everything. (laughs) Um, One's called Face Ao Diable, I'm going to say, by Ludotronic. And also Raise the Devil Pinball by Sears. Probably just a licensed version there. And then we also have a few more games here. Spaceship Pinball by Toytronic, Pinball by Dynamic Toys, and Powerhouse Pinball, aka Flipper Pinball by Tomy. And um, we grouped these all together because they seem like they're a similar pinball type game. Yep, but let's move on to Arcade Land. I mean, we had a great time there last time oh, with yeah. Chris. Um, <laughs> and April still has other arcade games to to show us so oh man the first one here um is called atari soccer released in april of 1980 and um i wanted to do this one because i don't know it just looked like the next version evolution of soccer and there's some really cool innovations in here um but also some big drawbacks so uh, okay <laughs> it was uh not it's not gonna be game of the year but i definitely wanted to go over it interestingly this uh, Atari soccer cabinet was only in a cocktail table form and it was either two or four player and all the players got a trackball so when it was four players four people with trackballs around a single (laughs) cocktail table which would be pretty crazy i think i can just imagine how much noise that would make because i feel like those things are loud (laughs) definitely so um it was kind of interesting um i think the thing that i i really wanted to hone in on it and and the real reason i wanted to do the review was because of the camera i think it's the first time we've ever seen anything like this so you have four human players potentially playing on the screen and they don't want the soccer field to feel so small that it's all visible on screen at the same time so you have the scrolling graphic right where whoever's got the ball if they're in the front the camera will kind of follow them okay but uh interestingly all the other players, like let's say, like when I was playing it, I was only playing one player, and then there were three, you know, characters just sitting there. If I move the camera over far enough, instead of them just disappearing from the screen, which might be confusing, the far side of the camera acts as a hard boundary and will actually push their characters closer to the action. Oh, weird. <laughs> which I think is actually a great way of doing things. And I really liked it. And I'm, I don't think I've ever seen that before where the camera can be a hard barrier. <laughs> I'm not sure, maybe in like some racing games or something, but never in a sports game like this. And I, I really like that because it's way better than having that like screen refresh thing that we've seen before or like having the, just the characters disappear. Kind of keeps everybody in the action, makes it so that you always can see your character on screen all the time. So. That was cool. I, I like that. Um, some of the other parts of the game is the first time I've seen them, but I think you played a soccer game maybe last year, Wes. Uh, I can't remember what that one was, but like you can pass between the players on this one. Okay. And, yeah. um, it's very strange again. It does the same thing I think Atari Basketball did. I'm not sure which one it was, but it's where like if you have uh, two human players and the person who doesn't have the ball hits their kick button, it'll automatically pass the ball from player one to them. <laughs> so you can just steal the ball from <laughs> your friend, uh, which I can't imagine being a good system. <laughs> but uh, that's how they do the passing. Otherwise, if you have the ball, you can try to kick it into the hoop. So if four people are playing, then that means it's like a 2v2, but then there's also one AI like forward on each team and also one AI goalie on each team that you don't control. So it's a 4v4 game actually, which feels pretty good, I think. And also the, I think they do a good job of differentiating all the human players by, on. it's like a very top-down camera view. So just on the top of the players' heads are like different shapes and that's all for the, 
the humans to know which one is them. <laughs> so I think it does a pretty good job in, in those respects. Let me move on to my ratings though, because I need to talk about graphics and the big downside of this game, which is that it's all, all black and white. And I just feel like, why? <laughs> Maybe they knew it was going to be cocktail table and like, Maybe that that's like gonna be a limiting factor in the sales. I don't know, but they just didn't do it, and I feel like they should have. It reminds me of Atari's football, which was the X's and O's black and white one. But in this case, it's just it makes the game feel like it's three years old, and we're like 1980 now, and like Galaxian is here, and like other games are like starting to look really good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we just can't have black and white games anymore. I'm sorry, it's just it's just bad. <laughs> um, the only other thing I'll say about the graphics that I did like is that when the uh, goalies get the ball, um, they're controlled by AI, and they generally just punt the ball across the field. <laughs> but when they do that, since your camera is like, a top, is like looking at the field top down, the ball will actually grow in size when they do the big kick, and oh, then shrink nice. again to, to make it feel like it, it's off the ground, uh, so you can't intercept it when it's up in the air. So that was a nice little feature, probably definitely unnecessary, but <laughs> it was a nice little surprise, I thought. I mean, otherwise, everything plays well enough. There's animation on the characters, just their feet moving. It's all right. There's not really a dribble. The ball kind of just clings to your character, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. There is like a mesh for the net and some nice lines on the field, but... uh. It all is kind of doesn't really matter because it's just in black and white. <laughs> uh, for graphics, I gave it um, a 2.25. It's not very good, but at least you can definitely differentiate all four human players and the two teams. One's definitely like a, a team with like white jerseys. Another one's like a team with black jerseys. So the game's easy to read and play. So at least that's good. And you do have a little bit of animation and perspective sometimes. Let's move on to the other bad score here, sound. I think you mentioned it before, Wes, but I think the developers knew with four trackballs, you're not hearing anything. And so they just <laughs> didn't program anything. And I was so surprised with the sound. I really was like, man, is this emulation correct? Because there's like no sounds playing. But the emulation says sounds equal good, which usually it'll be pretty honest and say like, you know, sounds still yet to be finished or something. Right. But it was like, no, this is what it is. And uh, it's like three beeps. <laughs> and that's it. And um, they happen, I think, maybe when you score a goal or a pass or something. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a silent game. So it's just not good. So I was surprised with how little sound there is. You might as well just have no sound. <laughs> but I give it a one out of ten because I think there was probably more sound on your handheld than is in this game. <laughs> For gameplay, though, I ended up giving that a 2.75 out of 10. I think it's a decent soccer game. And honestly, maybe the best one we've seen to date. I think, you know, one of the nice things about how they do the camera, especially, is that it makes the field feel larger where you could get some nice passes to your buddies and, like, be able to juke out the opponent and stuff. Like for some of the other soccer games we played that have been all on one screen, it's like there's just too many people bunched up and everyone's just taking the ball from each other really nilly and it's a little bit harder to do, to do that. The field feels bigger and, and more roomy and I, I like that. So in addition to having four players be able to potentially play and some AI in there um, to help out as well, I think it's probably one of the better soccer games. It's just a shame that it looks so bad and that it sounds so bad. So that really kind of detracted from it. I tried playing it in an, on an emulator, but like a trackball has variable speed, right? When you use it and the emulators is just a constant speed and right. the emulator speed was the same speed as the AI. So it was pretty much impossible to juke it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that would be an issue with a trackball. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a pretty fun soccer game, especially if you had four players, but, uh, Definitely not so fun if you're just by yourself, like I was. 
Um, so overall for relevance, I gave it a 5 out of 10. I couldn't find too much info on this. No pictures of the original cabinet anywhere or video. So, I mean, I know what it looks like, but it doesn't seem to be super popular. And uh, even though it's Atari, it is just black and white and has released way too late <laughs> to be black and white. So I'm thinking it's just like some sort of follow up to their football title or something. And uh, I don't know how much longer cocktail cabinets are going to be popular, to be honest. Maybe we're at the end of it. Who knows? <clears throat> but yeah, I, I couldn't find too much info on it. And overall, I just gave it a 2 out of 10. It's really hampered by the sound and graphics, but the gameplay is decent. And uh, I think the ball physics are workable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not great either. But the camera is really good. The information on screen is really good. And I think the AI is pretty good. The controls feel good. So it's got some pluses and some minuses for sure. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I always get hopeful when I see Atari sports games now, because after oh, yeah. a couple of their basketball iterations, you know, they, they've shown that they, at least in some levels, understand what makes sports games fun, I feel like. And mm -hmm. it sounds like there's at least some of that in the gameplay of this, but that's a big shame it's just uh <laughs> doesn't look great or sound great at all it's just weird because i feel like this game will get ported to the home computer this year or next year and it's just going to be like way better right. you could have just done that right now <laughs> yeah it's not like the atari 8 bit's stronger than these uh arcade cabinets or anything yeah yeah it's just kind of weird some of the decisions i think maybe they just they knew it wasn't going to sell super a lot because of the format of it and so they just didn't invest the time or resources maybe yeah well interesting but we are staying in arcade land for a while longer with my second game that i got to review we're really front loading this episode with a lot of reviews <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this one is an exciting one one that i really enjoyed and as always some of the ones i enjoy the most are the ones that i've never even heard of before and this is Tomahawk 777 by Data East. Came out in April, we know for sure, for this one. And a little bit of background. It's a game where you're repelling an alien invasion, very Space Invaders style, but you're a submarine. Because why not? <laughs> you know, I feel like it's basically... They're so attacking they, the oceans. <laughs> yes, yeah. I feel like it's just so they could make certain gameplay decisions that they made, which is fine by me. You know, I don't need much reason for it. But I wanted to give that background before I get into what is one of the greatest taglines I have ever read on a flyer. Uh, they, I'm going to say before this to help explain it that Data East Corporation was abbreviated as DECO in some places. Mm -hmm. So they said, aliens attack from the sky, submarines attack from the sea. Deco attacks from Japan. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was just for their US release or what. They're like, hey, these are coming at you and they're taking over the market. But I just think it's hilarious. It's so dumb. <laughs> so that was the big advertisement for this. Uh, there were also two different versions of the cabinet with different designs. They were both upright cabinets. One had a bunch of planets and spaceships on it, and the other one just had like these bright colored patterns and when i looked at the flyers for these two different ones it seems like they also changed the gameplay a little bit one of them had a couple features added on to it so that's the version i'm going to be talking about because it looks like they released pretty much around the same time so going over the gameplay for this although the flyer claims that this is a space invaders type game it definitely has a lot of galaxian influences which i'm always happy to see UFOs start at the top of the screen in formation. They slowly make their way down, although they kind of just jitter side to side and then every now and then jump down a line. And because you're underwater fighting these guys, they're above the water. They're firing depth charges at you. So it's interesting because they're moving slowly through the water and the dodging feels a lot different than it does in other Space Invaders type games. Occasionally, the UFOs will dive bomb you into the water in a bunch of zigzag patterns, very much like Galaxian, and they try to run straight into your sub. Any that make it past you will reappear at the top of the screen uh, on top of the 
like as a row above the ones that you've already fought so they don't go back to the same position. Those are kind of all the things that are similar to games that we've seen before, but they make some nice changes too. One of those is that you can move up and down through the water so you're not just stuck to the bottom of the screen. But there are mines in one of the versions, not the version I played. There are mines that you have to avoid as you're moving through the water. But then also another great change that they made is any of the UFOs that make it past you as they're dive bombing will lower the water level. And every time that one makes it past you, the water gets lower and lower. So you lose that vertical movement slowly as the round goes on. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic feature they have going on there. But now let me get into my ratings, talk about some of the goodness this game has going on. For graphics, I gave it a 3.25 out of 10. I haven't mentioned it yet, but this is a true color graphics game and it has multicolored sprites. Feels good to be back here. It's been a while, I feel like. <laughs> uh, it's definitely simpler than Galaxian. There's no idle animations for the UFOs. The background is blank, uh, even though there's water and everything. It's not as visually interesting as the twinkling stars in Galaxian, but it still looks pretty dang good. There's three different types of UFOs. One is basically a TIE fighter, but the other ones look pretty new and interesting. <laughs> um, they're all multicolored and their colors also change when they enter the water. Uh, so that kind of keeps things interesting. Your sub that you're piloting is a little boring. It's just all white, uh, but it's at least fairly well detailed. And underwater is pretty plain, but there's like these spikes on the top of the water that I guess are supposed to signify the waves. And also there's this really nice effect where the sides of the screen, which is sort of like, I guess, a underwater ravine that you're in or something because they're yellow on each side. Um, they are yellow above the water, but blue under the water. So it's another nice visual indicator of the water level lowering. Uh, they'll change color and turn yellow as the water slowly drops. So it, that's was a really nice effect. I enjoyed that. And the depth charges are spinning the whole time that they're uh, falling towards you and changing pretty quickly, like through a whole rainbow of colors, <laughs> which looks really weird, but it's at least visually interesting that there's this always color changing thing going on under the water. So you combine all those things together and it looks pretty great. Uh, I'm loving all this color pretty much. <laughs> Moving on to the sounds now though, unfortunately these weren't as stellar as the graphics. They were just okay, uh, but not horrible. I'm glad that none of them are exact ripoffs of Galaxian or Space Invaders sounds, but they are very similar. The emulator used pretty much Space Invader sounds, and I watched a version of the actual cabinet, and they are slightly different, but not that much different. <laughs> the enemy dive bomb noise sounds very similar to Galaxian. The shot that you fire sounds very similar to Galaxian, and the explosions and enemy death sounds all sound very close to Space Invaders. Uh, so we've heard all of them before, but I do appreciate at least that they are slightly different, so I gave it a 2 out of 10. Moving on to gameplay now, though, I gave it a 3 out of 10 here. This is honestly a super fun clone. Still not as good as Galaxian, still better than Space Invaders. <laughs> uh, it plays fast, which I like. It has the nice element of dodging dive bombing foes, which we don't get in all of these games, uh, but I always like that. And my favorite part is probably that you can actually move up and down, which we do not see in many of these clones at all. And that the water level changes when you miss those dive bombing UFOs so that there's this really dynamic element to the gameplay as you go through the round. Uh, so that kept me interested. I really like that. I also like that the depth charges aren't bombs that are hurtling straight towards you, but they're slowly falling. So you could destroy half the enemies on screen, but if you're not paying attention, all the depth charges that they left are still falling towards you. So you have to dodge those as well. Um, but one thing I didn't really like about the gameplay is, unfortunately, it seems like all the rounds are very similar. I think I got like four rounds in and I didn't see any changes in the type of enemies that were attacking you. So it might be one of those ones that's just the same all the way through, unfortunately. 
But other than that, I had a really good time with it. For relevance, though, I gave it a 6 out of 10. Uh, Tomahawk 777 is absolutely a clone. I mean, there's no questioning that. It takes a lot from its predecessors, but it definitely makes some nice changes to the theming and the gameplay. Uh, there's nothing groundbreaking that'll you know shake up the industry or the genre i don't think but I, it definitely earns its place as being a unique entry in this sort of space invader themed lineup uh, so i'm glad that it did a couple new things there and overall that left me with a three out of ten tomahawk 777 is a solid game has great graphics and really fun gameplay definitely borrows a lot from its famous predecessors but it's a clone that definitely puts its own spin on the game, even if that means inexplicably being a submarine fighting alien ships. I'm here for it. You know, it, it's at least different. Uh, and that's kind of one of the main things I like about this game. Cool. Yeah, whenever it's like a Space Invaders Galactic type game, I'm like, this could either be good or really bad. Yes. <laughs> so I'm glad it yeah. was on the good side. They kept like the parts I liked and reinvented it just enough. You know, mm -hmm. so <laughs> I liked it. It was good. Good. I'm glad. Um, well, next up here, we've got some clones of Tomahawk 777, including Tomahawk Missile by Electrosport and Sea Scare by Zakaria. But um, let's move on to the last one I did today, another arcade one. And um, some of you who are like, I don't know, weird anime nerds might know it. Like us, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I didn't know it, but it sounded like you did know it. I had heard of it before, but I've never seen it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Um, it's called Lupin 3, and it's based off of a manga or manga called Lupin the Third. And mm -hmm. I've never heard of this, but it is crazy popular. <laughs> like I was looking it up, <laughs> and um, it first appeared in a manga in 1967, and I think the first... TV special was in like the early 70s and it's been consistently running pretty much um through till today like the latest series aired in 2021 that's insane there's two live action films 11 animated films six television series 27 television specials wow. <laughs> <It's> crazy <laughs> and i in to, in order to prepare for this game which is uh the first I think like officially licensed a uh, manga game ever in the history of video games. Cause I think we did the vampire one before, but I'm not sure that that was officially licensed and I know this right. one is. So it's either the vampire one or this one, but this one's definitely licensed. And, um, in order to prep for it, I was like, Oh, I should watch an episode of loop in the third. And, um, it was a horrible decision cause I thought I was watching episode number one. <laughs> um, which was called like Lupin is Burning or something like that. But I didn't realize until later that Lupin is Burning is also the title of like a anniversary special. And I was actually watching that <laughs> and it had like a bunch of like weird callbacks to things that if you had watched the show would be like, oh, they, they called back to that. But I'm just like, what is this scene doing here? <laughs> like, you know, who, who are these people? Um, so it was not a good move. But uh, what I can say about the show, obviously, it's very popular. The lead character is a thief. And in this game, you play as a thief robbing a bank. But he's like, you know, a fun thief. He reminds me of like Indiana Jones or someone. Right. Where <laughs> he's like thieving. But there's people that are bad guys, you know, and they're not just like some of them are just police officers, but some of them are just like also like dr evil or you right. know something so like a robin hood kind of vibe almost yeah i mean i don't think he gives it to you know poor people i think well, he just well, takes it for true. himself yeah. but, <laughs> um still when i was watching it i was getting a lot of cowboy bebop vibes yeah yeah i can um, see that which is another so it's another great anime that i've watched although i never watched this but yeah it was pretty cool i i enjoyed the anime and i kind of want to watch maybe some of the uh the movies and stuff like I was watching a trailer for one of the live action ones and it looks really good so I think it'd be pretty fun kind of has a like a James Bond kind of vibe too because he's just with the time period that it's set in and I think there is some like weird sci-fi and like magic things happening but hmm. 
kind of feels like, oh, he's got like a pistol, he dresses in a suit, you know? <laughs> right. So there's some of that going on too. But uh, as far as the game itself goes, it seems pretty obvious to me and to some other people that have played this game that the game was like a bank robbing game and at the last minute they probably got the license to it because <laughs> none of the characters <laughs> in the game look like anything from the TV show. I will say there's music that plays and I don't know if that is from the TV show or not. I just don't know the show well enough. One thing that is definitely from the TV show is that the arcade cabinet and flyer is covered in artwork from the comics in the show and it looks really cool. Like if you're a Lupin 3 fan, like you definitely need to have this cabinet cuz it's like it, it looks like a Lupin 3 like pinball cabinet. There's just 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 covered in like decals and stuff from characters of the show. So it's a very obvious this is Lupin 3. <laughs> um, but the gameplay itself, I don't know how much that is like Lupin 3. <laughs> um, but what the game is, it's a bank robbing game. Um, it actually opens up with a little cutscene of you coming in from a helicopter and descending into the bank, which again, I don't know if that actually happens in the show or not. I don't think it would. Because... Um, and the show seems to be about a pretty small group of characters that wouldn't have access to a helicopter at any point, <laughs> you know? They'd go in the sewers or something. <laughs> but uh, it opens up with a little helicopter sequence, and then it plops you down into the bank, and the bank has a couple things going on in it. Um, you've got your character, which has a cape, and which is already weird because I don't think Lupin 3 has a cape. <laughs> Um, he does in the flyer artwork, but I didn't see that in the show. But uh, your character has a cape, and you're in kind of like basically a maze. Like think about like Pac-Man kind of style maze, and you have one police character that's chasing you all the time. They're going straight for you. That you have to, you know, go around and just make sure that they don't touch you. And then you have a couple other AI characters that seem to be just walking on kind of mindless random paths so it's really annoying when they get in your way because it's like oh i'm sure that was just like unlucky <laughs> i think there's just like two guards and maybe or one to two guards i think more guards come if you do really well in the game and also a dog uh and i think that could also be two dogs but they don't really track you down they just kind of walk around whereas the police officer who has a baton and that's the only reason why i think he's a police officer he will like hunt you down so he's the only one you have to really be careful of but pretty much at the top of the maze you've got eight bags of money and at the bottom of the maze you have eight outlines of where money needs to go you just need to move the money from the top to the bottom to escape with it apparently <laughs> probably one of my favorite parts about the game is that it allows you to make it make the difficulty as hard as you want so for example you can um, grab more than one bag of money when you're up there. You can grab, I think, up to all eight. But the more bags of money that you grab, the slower you walk. So it's kind of like, how much do I want to try to get away with it? I found that getting two bags of money was very hard. I would never go for three. And in general, I should probably just stick, for, stick with one bag. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that kind of helps with the difficulty is that even though the police officer is faster than you, especially if you're holding money and can catch up with you, you also have an energy meter where you can just teleport across the bank. I think it teleports you to a random location in the bank. And um, that can be used to get out of a jam. That can be used to like try to bypass the police officer, just get on the other side of him and then get down to the bottom. I don't think Lupin the Third can teleport, so that's just something they made up, I think. <laughs> Um, but it's a cool little mechanic that allows you a little bit more control and maybe a little bit more like room for like being talented at the game instead of just being lucky. So I like that, but you can only use it, I think, four times and then it, you run out of energy and that's it. And so that's pretty much all the game is move money from the top of the, the maze to the bottom while avoiding the enemies. You do have two different uh, win or not wind screens, but like a, you have a wind screen and a death screen or a death screen cutscene. 
Oh, okay. The winning cutscene is that you like meet up with a with a girl, which I guess is supposed to be what the main uh, female in the show. And I think she uh, maybe kisses you and then says, "I need more money," and then you you go back in or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then if you lose, uh, you, you have three lives. But if you lose your third life, there's a little cutscene of you going to jail. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know why that would only happen after your three lives and not every time you get caught, but whatever. Um, <laughs> those will be important for some of my scores later. So let me get into my scores. Let's start out with the graphics. The graphics are, I think, in true color, um, but they're all very solid. No multicolored sprites. All of the enemies and even your character are just a solid yellow color. But the maze is kind of divided into like gray chains and gray and blue bricks and seemingly like an armory around the high scores where there's just guns. I wish you could pick up the guns, but it's just, you know, pretty much a wall. And uh, the money bags are really nice, but I think my favorite part about the graphics is just the little characters. Like the police officer has its own charm. The dogs actually look a lot like dogs. And um, it's cool to see your sprite change like when you're grabbing a bag of money uh you know it's over it'll be over your character's shoulder and uh they'll kind of hunch over and everybody's got pretty good animations although they're probably just a two or three frame animation so i don't know it's on one hand everything looks pretty good but there's no multicolored sprites and it kind of feels like a 1979 game and not a 1980 that's like breaking new ground kind of game so I gave the uh, graphics a 2.25 because it's uh, a little samey maybe. Like if the maze would change in between rounds, that'd be cool. But it's always the same maze and um, always the same police officer and dog and stuff. So money bags don't ever change position, stuff like that. So I right. think it's, it's all right, but it's a little old maybe for me. But it's in true color. I will say I really like the graphics on especially the intro screen where you come in from the helicopter. The helicopter actually looks really good and I just feel like they didn't need to work on that, but they did anyway, and I'm uh, grateful for that. So that part was cool. Moving on to gameplay. For gameplay, I gave it a 3 out of 10 because I quite enjoyed it. I don't think we've ever played like a bank robbing game, although it kind of definitely feels like a maze slash Pac-Man kind of game. And uh, not so much like you're stealth stealthily like outwitting the guards, right, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. if, like if the guards <laughs> like saw you and then chased after you, that'd be one thing. But like some of the guards just move randomly, and one's just always chasing you. He always knows where you are. So I wish there was an actual stealth mechanic <laughs> uh, that could really make this game. But as it st- stands, it's pretty much just like Pac-Man, but. Your goal is to go from one side of the maze to the other side eight times or maybe less if you carry more than one bag of money. And so it's kind of like a cool concept, but not fully realized yet. Right. Now, the best score was actually sound. I give that a 3.25 out of 10. And there's a lot of really cool sounds in this that I really liked. For one thing, every now and then the dog barks and it's actually a pretty good imitation of a dog barking i think <laughs> you also have footsteps and music that plays weirdly enough though the music only plays after you've grabbed a bag of money not sure why but uh that happens <laughs> and uh i'm not sure if the music is from the show or not so maybe that would increase it or uh, or decrease it a little bit if i knew but it does have music and it does have some nice sound effects the helicopter has a whirlwind sound effect for the blades and for the cutscenes at the end they have music for each of the cutscenes and i believe they have a harmony on the music for those cutscenes it's just a very small little short tune but there is more than one voice playing which i mean that's like in my dreams so uh right. there's still like midi voices but I love the music. I, I could use more music all the time. So I think that they did a good job with the sounds on this. 
And so for relevance, I gave it an 8.25 out of 10. Not only is it the first like bank robbing game that we've played, but it's the first officially licensed uh, manga game from a very popular manga that I've never heard of, but now I'm going to go check out. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just really interesting because like the manga has its own wiki and this is like a page in that wiki. And I just feel like any kind of weird crossover like that is pretty cool. And it's by Taito. So I think it would be very popular in Japan. In fact, uh, on the, the Lupin 3 wiki, it says that I think maybe the first film came out in like 79 or something. So like this came out like at one of the high points in Lupin's popularity. So it must have been successful. Like, I just feel like anybody looking at the arcade cabinet would be like, whoa, Lupin 3. And with all the great branding and graphics all over it i just think it would be perfect so too bad the game doesn't look more like lupin 3 it looks like some sort of random game that just typo made <laughs> but <laughs> it, it does work it, i don't think they're stretching it too far so overall i give it a 3 out of 10 i think it's very good if a little bit old maybe as far as the graphics go but it's got great sound effects and uh, original gameplay if it is a little bit mazy for my taste. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of maze-based stuff in this next year, Wes. So, Got to get prepared we'll for see. it now. But yeah. at least this one has interesting theming and some cool like yeah. cultural relevance, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. So I enjoyed it. But uh, let's move on. we got a couple more honorable mentions, and then we'll be out for today. All right, yeah. So let's talk about some of the things we've got here. We've got Lupin by Nimer, which is a license of the Taito game. And then moving on to some com- some computer games, we've got Radler by Steven Cruz, which is a 1980 Commodore pet game that had simple dodging mechanics. But it was nice because it was an ASCII version that ran at a high frame rate and had cars and bikes, like motorcycles, coming down the screen that you had to dodge. So it looked pretty good for the pet. Nice. Then we also have Car Race by Satoru Iwata, uh, also for the pet. It was a simple speed race style game, but it actually moved at a fast enough frame rate that for the first time it felt like on the pet, you could actually go fast. (laughs) So we're always loving when we see stuff on the Commodore pet that's actually like, oh, that's starting to be comparable to stuff we had last year. Or, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And then moving on to the Cursor magazine for April 1980, Cursor makes only pet games. Um, And usually some pretty good ones. First one here is called Frog by Bob Carr. Um, And it's a bug eating frog game where you have to like jump up and spit out your tongue and eat frogs. And I feel like (laughs) I could definitely play that on a Flash browser today. So, oh yeah, (laughs) it looked all right. And then the next one I really wanted to play but I couldn't find actually an emulation on this one. It's called Godzilla by Randall Lockwood. And it's a game where you have to send troops to attack Godzilla on a grid of Japan. And um, this kind of, I think it played like an, like some of the older Star Treks that we've played, or maybe even some of the newer military simulation games that we've seen on some other systems. It had a really nice, nicely detailed map of Japan, but then Godzilla was just like, the letter G. <laughs> right, I bet. <laughs> um, and you would like send out like 10 flyers or, you know, five infantry or something. I don't know. It may be more like a risk kind of game, but it seemed complicated. And I would have liked to check it out further, but I couldn't find any emulation so that we could play it. So, ah, uh, it's a shame. But moving on with Cursor Magazine, we have Miner by Ron Longfellow. Uh, which is a gold digging game and we previously reviewed uh, this game on the trs-80 or at least something very very similar to it so uh, not too much new going on here and then the last one that we have for cursor magazine is rail by chris torkelson which you play as the switch master in a rail yard and you have to prevent trains from hitting each other Uh, so kind of a spin on the air traffic control games that we've been seeing recently Mm-hmm. And then our last one for today is called Blastem by Andrew Berman and published in Nibble magazine, which is, I'm not sure if we've mentioned Nibble yet, but 
It's a new kind of newer magazine for us, but I don't have access to the actual magazine, although I found a disc with all their games. So I'm not really sure exactly when um, in 1980 Blastem came out, but um, it's a game where you have to shoot highlighted windows in a house um, using a joystick, which sounds really cool. But I tried to play it in uh, the Apple II emulator and it was not working, so it's <laughs> oh. so a little hard to say, but the house did look good, and I like the concept. It reminded me of like a light gun game, but you would use a joystick, so kind of cool. <laughs> but that will do it for us today. I hope you guys enjoyed our second episode of April here. I mean, April's just been like a month of hot games. We're going to look back on, on our whole podcast and be like yeah if something changed in april of 1980 and the games got good <laughs> hopefully yeah <laughs> we're six good ones last time and uh i mean you had rise the devil pinball which we don't know that that came out in april but right. it, it wasn't the best but it was different uh and we wanted to check it out but then atari soccer which had some interesting gameplay things that i think are going to be factors going forward Tomahawk 777 by Data East that you did and, and really enjoyed. And Lupin 3 by Taito, a game that when I looked at the, like when I heard the title of it, I was like, oh, this is some sort of weird space game. And this is like the third planet of the Lupin system or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's actually uh, a thief game uh, based off of a very popular manga. So who knew? It was good. <laughs> yeah. Taito's been on a streak of really good games lately i feel like really yeah. weird stuff oh yeah which we love to see i mean hopefully they're getting big enough in japan now that they're going to be getting even more weird stuff and more weird licensed stuff uh, that would be pretty oh, yeah. cool <laughs> but if you're enjoying listening to this episode and you want to listen to more and learn more about everything that we've covered make sure to check out our website where we've got tons of information on everything we've covered before also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, where we post announcements about our episodes as they're going up. And if you have any other questions, make sure to send us an email. And with that, we'll see you next time. See you all next time. <laughs>